Welcome to the Phoenix Infidelity Podcast, the podcast for betrayed men by betrayed men. Here we shed light on the topic of infidelity from a first-hand experience as well as from a professional counseling perspective. If you would like more information on how to book a one-on-one counseling session, just send us an email to info at phoenixinfidelity.com. In this episode, I introduce a useful analogy that might help us to understand why we need not take on the blame, yet at the same time take responsibility in order to move forward. I also share experiences from the book, The Phoenix, The Shooter and The Snake, that outline the most important contributors that I believe led to unhappiness in my previous relationship. As a side note to those listening who have not yet stepped over the edge into the abyss of broken trust, All of these contributors could have been solved with good counseling if it hadn't been for the bomb of infidelity that destroyed any chance of recultivating our love for one another. We also briefly touch on how some personalities are possibly more prone to infidelity based on the Big Five scale. So without further hesitation, let's get into it. We've got work to do. So in the previous two conversations, we've been talking a lot about raising or lowering the probability of getting cheated on. And we've also talked about, you know, certain aspects of why women cheat, trying to get more information and more insight on this topic. And you will hear this resounding theme between myself and Anfred, um, that it is definitely, absolutely not your fault. And what we're trying to do is dissipate this fog of delusion and lighten the weight of self-blame a little bit that you're most probably placing upon yourself. So I'd like to start off with a little analogy that I've been thinking about for a very long time. And you can tell me what you think of this, Anfred. If a man who is late for work were to take a shortcut down a deserted alley and he gets gunned down, I think we would all agree that it was not his fault. We just see this as being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. Now, if that alley happens to be filled with warning signs stating that a possessed assassin is lurking around in the area and he then gets shot in the heart, I think most of us would agree that it still was not his fault even though he had unfortunately raised the probability of that happening. So... It might have been ignorance or willful blindness on his part by either deciding to ignore the signs or being in such a rush that he just didn't seem to pay much attention. But in no court of law would the shooter be exonerated. The judge still puts 100% of the responsibility on the assassin. There's no defense for having acted outside of the social contract. And this is what we're trying to communicate to guys that have faced the gun of infidelity. I think most men during their relationship take that shortcut for whatever reason. And many men come out the other side unscathed depending on the situation. I'm sure we'll get into what women ought to do as soon as they feel their needs are not being met. A simple adult conversation comes to mind. Or perhaps separating before monkey branching onto a higher value chimp. But 
be that as it may, sometimes the conditions are just wrong enough for the partner to decide to pull the trigger and the man just meets his fate. Now the shooter might say things like, yeah, but you saw the signs or you knew this was coming or even I don't know what I was doing, I was possessed. But no one, perhaps with the exception of people who have been unfaithful, would say that the shooter walks free just because the signs were up. But here is where we have to move into a higher moral reasoning. Here is where we have to take responsibility for the things that were not our fault. So you learn how to read the signs and you pay more attention and you choose your routes better. This is what this channel is all about. Making men as close to infidelity proof as possible, but also making men strong enough to more easily move forward should they ever stare down the barrel of the infidelity gun again. So I was wondering what your thoughts would be on an analogy like this. Absolutely. Such an important aspect to understand. And in the midst of the betrayal trauma, we have to be so sensitive in how we are communicating this. And I like the way that you're communicating it. So we have to make it very clear. It's not your fault. Nobody is blaming you for the betrayal. Nobody is pointing a finger at you. But you have to understand at some point when you're ready, you have to recognize there were things that I did which contributed. And so we have to look at that to help you because we essentially we want to help you and, and thousands of men to fair proof their relationship so that this doesn't happen to them because it's a horrible experience. We don't want anyone, anyone else going through it that doesn't need to go through it. You know, I sometimes look back at my old self I sometimes feel like, wow, who wouldn't have cheated on this guy? You know, I sometimes look back at the way I handled things and the way I saw the world. And it's such a strange feeling. But I need to remind myself that, you know, it's it's really there's really no reason to act in, in deceit. Um, I think at the very least, if we could maybe just encourage women to end the relationship um, before being unfaithful. Um, I just feel that that's a higher moral um, aim at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, I've recently had couples where they kind of had agreed beforehand, we're not going to cheat on each other. Even if we're unhappy with each other, we're going to speak to each other. And this agreement was broken and it's been it's been really hard for the man who is now facing the fact that his partner's betrayed him and it's it's incredibly difficult for him so why do you think women don't maybe it's not fair to say on average because i think in terms of the stats it's very difficult to get stats on this topic because nobody really wants to you know come clean and and talk about how they've been unfaithful but let's say 25% of marriages go through infidelity or, or experience infidelity. And half of that would be women um, cheating on the man. Why do you think it is that those women choose to be unfaithful while staying in the relationship and not rather end the relationship before moving on to something new? Because she's never thought about ending the relationship with her spouse or her partner. Um, she's just unhappy unhappy that she isn't you know feeling loved and supported the way that she needs to be and suddenly someone else comes along 
So she hasn't even been thinking about ending it or changing it, or she's tried to change and improve things, but things haven't improved. And so she's just kind of suffering along and someone comes, another man comes along and suddenly becomes a support. And before she knows it, she's she's talking to this guy, she's chatting, he's caring for, he's showing support, he's being understanding, all the things she hasn't had for a long time. And before she knows it, she starts developing feelings. And, and once the feelings start developing, then she becomes physically involved with him as well. The feelings always start first before the physical involvement for, for a woman in most cases. We will definitely have to do uh, an episode on learning how to trust again and accepting maybe a new person into your life and trusting that she will not be unfaithful because I, I want to believe that there are women out there that would rather um, have a mature conversation before the relationship gets to that point where she starts thinking of being unfaithful. Um, but yeah, I guess that's a, that's a topic for another conversation. So continuing with this theme of identifying variables that either raise or lower the probability of getting cheated on, I'd like to share my personal experience a little bit and things that I mention in the book um, in story form that I've taken out and highlighted for this conversation. And you can maybe speak to these points and tell me what you think, because these are things that I've, I've been thinking about this for a very long time. And it feels to me like I, these are things that I wish I did or not do. And also things that I want to encourage guys um, to do in order to, you know, lower the the odds of get, getting cheated on. So there's something I learned from one of these love coaches a while ago. And he always says, love is playful. I just love that statement. And in the book, I talk about this moment where Lisa speaks to Ethan and says, you know, I missed you. It's almost as if there's this hope of reconciliation and he interprets that perfectly that's all she says but he knows what's behind that i'm i missed you you know it's i'm i missed having fun with you and playing games and um, going out on on little dates and you know spontaneous little surprises etc etc et um and i guess <laughs> this when Cindy Lauper um saying you know girls just want to have fun I guess she was right because something that I wish towards the end I did a little bit more is bring the fun back into the relationship do you see fun being a big variable absolutely I think it's a huge variable think about when you started dating you know you didn't talk about serious things you probably spoke about some serious things but it was really to enjoy each other and during this time you were just the hormones that were racing through your through your brain a lot of those hormones were positive feel-good hormones as a result of laughing together and just enjoying being with each other you were creating memories and and that was to a large degree what your relationship was about invariably most couples are also quite physical during this time and all of that also is is just fun it's enjoyable but so often what happens 
once the relationship has gotten older, where the seeds of infidelity can be planted, is that couples are not having fun. And they're certainly not having emotion, I mean, physical intimacy. So there's no emotional intimacy, there's no physical intimacy. The fun has to a large degree dried up. And, and it's very much an environment which is conducive to betrayal. Another point that I raise in the book is my propensity to become quite neurotic when I'm sleep deprived. There are moments um, I can remember where I would act in almost autistic, closed off way if um, my sleep was at stake. And um, I really do wish that I would have identified these triggers earlier. You know, meditation and, and stoicism has really taught me how to pay attention before you get to that point where you, you know, give in to the neuroticism and identify that energy within your, within your body and, and change it and control it. Um, but this is something that I wish I knew um, before we got to this point where my spouse felt so overwhelmed by these, these moments where I fell into neurotic behavior. Um, what, would you, what, what advice would you give to guys if they find themselves that they act a little bit or overly neurotic in specific contexts? Do you think that's a big one? Do you, do you feel that neuroticism is a contributor to infidelity? I think so. I think anything which triggers us into a threat response where we either fight, flee or freeze is something that we have to address. We have to understand what is making me, what is making me go into the threat space. Is it uh, just stress around work? Is it what, how my spouse speaks to me and how I perhaps falsely interpret her words to be like, I take it personally as a personal criticism or um, whatever trigger it may be that brings me into this threat response. We all need to identify what those are so that we can address them and not let our neuroticism or our disagreeableness um, become a wedge which drives us apart as a result. So when we talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, one of, the force, one of those horsemen is content. Contempt happens when you're feeling a continuous disagreeableness between yourself and your spouse and you start becoming unhappy with them. You start finding fault and, and that's where you then end up creating this distance between yourself and, and your partner, which makes them feel uncared for, unsupported. And so you want to be aware, what is it? What are your triggers? What are the things that make you neurotic that drive content in your relationship and can cause this wedge that can grow between yourself and your partner? Yeah, I think that's great advice because, you know, if we learn to enter into a, a mature masculine frame, you know, in Jungian psychology, you have these archetypes at the top and, you know, there's, there's a development towards these archetypes. And as you go down the levels of development, you end up with these childish um, characteristics and personality traits that 
um, make you seem super immature. And it is contextual sometimes. It's not that you live there. But in my case, for example, um, you know, being sleep deprived just puts me into this almost the high chair tyrant or one of these boy archetypes. And if I can encourage men to do research on these topics and also, um, you know, enter into more of a masculine frame to to be a, a stoic figure in the relationship. I think what you bypass are these moments where contempt would have arisen. I think the the one skill that we all have to learn is to manage ourselves, learn to manage ourselves so that we are not just um, run or ruled by our emotions, but rather are able to control our emotions. We talk about emotional regulation in psychology, and it's something that everybody needs to learn how to do because it can so easily create so much havoc in a relationship. And so it's, it's good to make that a to pursue that as a skill that you know and can apply in your own life um, another one that i put down here is sexual freedom and novelty i've mentioned this in one of our previous conversations i just love this this quote from esther perel that says sex is not something you do it's a place you go um, and this is something i really did not understand until recently and, you know, I also talk in the book about the mediocre sex life between Ethan and Lisa and how that came about. And um, I think how that could have been avoided. Um, but do you see that novelty in the bedroom or lack of novelty in the bedroom is a contributor to infidelity at the end of the day on the woman's side? I've, I've certainly come across... Um, many relationships where sexual dissatisfaction existed and contributed to the unhappiness in in either the man or the wife, but that wasn't the that wasn't the main contributing factor. I get it. Okay. Another thing that I mentioned in the book is that we used to spend a lot of time together, and. I used to hold this up as a trophy, you know, to show other people that me and my wife, we're like best friends and we do everything together and we enjoy one another's company and we almost never fight. But now I realize that that is a recipe for smothering the attraction in a relationship. You know, Esther Perel talks about this idea of how fire needs air. I love that um, analogy. So in order for a fire to um, flourish, it needs oxygen and it needs air and it needs space, right? So that's something that I wish I picked up earlier and something that I wish I applied was to create a little bit more physical and let's say emotional space for us to live our lives and then come together and, you know, cultivate curiosity within the relationship to to, in that sense, introduce novelty into our relationship. What do you think about that? Have you seen this issue in couples that you've dealt with? You know, I think that it's, it's very normal and it's very understandable. In most situations, um, couples are apart during the day and they will go through whatever they do, struggles at work 
or perhaps uh, the wife is at home looking after the kids and she's experiencing struggles with the kids. And then at the end of the day, they'll get back together again and hopefully they will connect and they'll talk about how great the day was or how tough the day was and they'll be there supporting each other. And they become each other's support systems. But you can't have a situation where your only support person is your spouse. And you actually need to have friends. The guy needs to have guy friends and the girl needs to have girlfriends because he can't be everything to her and she can't be everything to him. And if they're trying to be everything to each other, they're going to get they're going to smother each other. They're going to get bored with each other. They're going to irritate each other. Most of us haven't learned the the emotional attachment skills and the emotional connection skills. So we, we end up kind of hurting each other without realizing it. And so we do need that space apart from each other because sometimes, you know, we, we know that saying absence makes the heart grow fonder. When you're in each other's space all the time, you actually start growing a little bit of contempt. And that is really unhelpful. Yeah, I love what you just mentioned because, again, referencing Esther Perel, she helps you to understand that it's unreasonable to expect that one person fulfills the role of mother, compatriot, friend, lover, business partner. Um, and that's sort of what we were to one another. And I now realize that we became dependent on each other in an unhealthy way, which at that stage seemed fine. So, you know, going into new relationships, I would definitely consciously choose to create space and keep the curiosity flowing within the relationship. Absolutely. It's such a good idea to have that space that each person can go and do things that they're interested in, have fun with their friends and their interests, and then come back together again and share, uh, share what their day was like, share what fun they had. But then obviously there have to be things that they do share together, perhaps going hiking, perhaps going camping, perhaps certain genre of movies or YouTube channels, and that they enjoy doing fun to get things together, which just creates that, that creates those memories and creates that camaraderie that couples need. Another point that I made here was this idea of chore play. I don't know if you've come across this word, but this word I think is mentioned in the book No More Mr. Nice Guy. It's this idea that men use chores or the completion of chores to generate passion um, within the woman, almost as if, you know, me cleaning the kitchen should automatically generate desire inside of inside of the woman um now this is not something that i did on a daily basis but you know unconsciously i always felt it, it always felt strange to me that she wouldn't respond to the love language of acts of service in the same way i did and i late i later realized that this is such a beta male frame of mind that one needs to exit as soon as possible because this is truly something that in most cases does not generate passion. Um, so this is something that I wish I did differently. Do you see chore play 
surface you know in in your discussions with your clients do you see the women saying things like oh you know he he wants me to take off my clothes every time he washes the floor or does runs an errand i i haven't seen it as such um but sometimes men um do think that you know because they are working um in the home contributing towards keeping things clean and that kind of thing that um they are therefore entitled to you know have sex whenever they want to or that she should be particularly giving in terms of physical affection and that kind of thing there's much to talk about on this topic of chore play that will definitely surface in a later conversation and the final thing that i picked up let's say my last horseman that i identified was um a parent child dynamic in my previous relationship so i would enter into this father role where i would you know constantly be telling her what i think she should be doing and this is how it should be and you know almost like dragging her kicking and screaming to the things that i feel were more valuable um, to do i think this has to do with our attachment styles as well and we could definitely have a, a series on attachment styles where i tended to move towards more of an avoidant attachment style and she tended to um, migrate to the anxious attachment style so you have this dynamic of me pulling away and her getting anxious and pursuing what i what i now understand is it's much more healthy to be obviously secure both and both equal and give each other space to be adults and you know make your own decisions and then be rather interdependent than one of the partners being dependent on the other for making the decisions and being the controller of the relationship have you seen this before what can you speak to this for a second yeah, I think that's uh, such a good uh, observation that you made for yourself. The idea of the parent-child relationship comes from transactional analysis, where one person is uh, in the space where they think their ideas are better and their thoughts are better than the other person's and they feel the other person needs to continually be directed or helped or told what to do. And so you have this parent-child kind of relationship and the, the child in this in this scenario kind of allows themselves to be a child. They don't kind of rebel and say, hey, what's going on here? How come you're talking to me like this? Uh, you know, you don't have to keep telling me what to do. I'm an adult. And so because of that dynamic, it just continues and then can be very destructive for couples. Um, the attachment style, yeah, I think the attachment styles fit quite nicely into this concept as well. But let's just speak to the parent-child dynamic that happens very often between couples. And it can either be the, the wife that is like the parent and the, the, the husband or the man that's like the child or vice versa. Either way, the person who's the parent is dominant and has ideas and thinks their ideas are good, Some often thinks their ideas are better, feels that the other person, their partner or spouse needs to be directed, do this, do that, don't do this, why are you doing this? So criticism starts developing 
in the person who's being directed the whole time, the concept uh, of I'm not good enough starts growing. I, everything I do is wrong. Um, I'm not valued. Everything gets criticized. And, and that starts creating contempt, which is one of the four horsemen that we, we even mentioned earlier. Um, it creates contempt. And very often in these kind of relationships, there isn't a good um, conflict resolution strategy. And so conflict doesn't get resolved. It just gets brushed under the carpet. And we, there we have we have the seeds for discontentment and for a potential affair if a potential affair partner would come along and for a woman that means somebody who cares who's understanding who's not telling her what to do who's not creating this feeling that i'm not good enough and everything i do is wrong and i'm always being told and i'm like a child and and when this person arrives and does all the right things says all the right things she becomes emotionally attached and then that will obviously end in a physical attachment at some point as well yeah, that's great advice. That's what I could see happen is that um, I wasn't consciously trying to be controlling or criticizing, but that's the way that my ex-spouse perceived it. She perceived it as criticism, and that obviously bred contempt at the end of the day. Um, even though most of my ideas were great. <laughs> A little bit of sarcasm there for the listeners who didn't pick that up. And I want to I want to speak to that. I don't think anybody ever is intending to be hurtful in any way. We all think that we're right. If we thought we were wrong, we'd change our thoughts. But we think we're right. So therefore, we then share those thoughts. And if we really think we're right and it really should be done this way, then we make that clear with determination and with passion. And invariably, the person who feels or who's being told what to do unconsciously and and without the other intending it starts feeling these feelings of I'm not good enough and I'm always being criticized and of course we're not pointing any fingers because as we said it's not the intention it's just that hey we think this is a great idea and that we should really go with this and unfortunately we end up making the mistake of pushing the other person away because of our style yeah so again referring to the book how to win friends and influence people um, that really truly was a game changer for me and you know learning how to steal man an argument we talked about that in a previous conversation these are tools that we could um, approach one by one and teach guys at the end of the day how to resolve conflict and you know guard the relationship and cultivate what's left before uh, one of the partners feel like it's too late. Absolutely. Excellent and of course, stuff. I have a book as well, How to Resolve Conflict with Ease and Confidence, which is going to give you very, very practical tools and guidelines as to how to uh, approach someone, any person, whether it's your spouse, partner, or even a neighbor, even a colleague, how to approach them when you're upset about something and how to resolve that conflict. And it's it's a book that couples can work through together and just hone their skills, improve themselves, improve their conflict resolution styles and strategies. Just to end this idea of identifying red flags and you know a fair proofing your relationship. There seems to be a correlation between certain personality types and the raised probability of cheating. So I'll link these studies in the comment section, but just to sum it up, 
there seems to be a link between uh, narcissism and low agreeableness and infidelity. And there also seems to be a correlation between um, sensation-seeking or more hedonistic behavior um, and low conscientiousness and infidelity. And there's also a study linking high extroversion and sensation-seeking to infidelity. Now, this is an interesting topic because I think very soon in a relationship, you can identify whether a person is high or low on these big five traits that we've also talked about a little bit. How do you see personality types entering into this equation of being prone to cheating on your spouse? It's a, it's a very interesting question. There could be a correlation where there's extroversion. The woman um, would be more prone to an extramarital relationship. But it's usually in the context of not feeling that support, that uh, care and connection with the spouse or with the partner at home. So it's not the primary driver. But when there is unhappiness within the relationship, that could be just one extra warning sign um, in the dark alley pointing you towards the danger, right? Yeah, yeah. And of course, where there are sometimes situations where a spouse is just the kind of person that is sexually more awake or, or the libido is very high and wants to experiment sexually um, and maybe has past issues of promiscuity or low morals or even sex addiction as we've uh, alluded to and talked about in a past session so one has to be aware of that as well yeah this is such an interesting topic i hope that in the past three conversations we've really enlightened guys to identify the variables that increase the probability of infidelity whether that then be a cautionary tale to help them prevent infidelity or in their current relationship um, prevent it from happening again. Thank you so much, Anfred. I don't know if you want to add something before we finish the conversation. I think there's a, a question that I uh, wanted to answer, which I thought was a quite a helpful question. And that is, is there one thing that men would have to do to avoid infidelity? What would that be? Is there one thing? And we have alluded to it before, but I, I can't stress enough how important it is. The one thing that you can do is make sure that you stay emotionally connected with your partner, that you are always in tune with how she's feeling and that you are acknowledging those feelings, validating those feelings, empathizing with those feelings. And lastly, and of almost lowest priority are trying to find a solution because women want to know that you care that you're there that you understand they don't want you to fix their problem but they do want you they do want to know that you are hearing their problem and that is the probably the most important thing that anybody can do to protect their relationship and to a fair proof it that's excellent advice um, we might touch on this topic again in the future of um you know being being the mountain and making the woman feel safe without being this over logical problem solving 
archetype <laughs> that just pushes her away. I think that's great advice, Anfred. Thank you. As always, thanks for joining me, Anfred. We've got lots more to talk about, so I'll see you soon. Yeah, absolutely. Goodbye. It's been good to chat with you. If you would like more information on how to book a one-on-one -on -one counseling session, just send us an email to info at phoenixinfidelity.com.